Hello, folks, and welcome back. My name's Simon Ward, and I'm your host for the High Performance Human Podcast. Each week, I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier, and, of course, improving your triathlon performance. In today's podcast, my guest is Patrick McEwen, the author of the book Oxygen Advantage. If you've been listening to the podcast and reading my blogs over the last few months, you will have noticed that I've spent an awful lot of time talking about the importance of sleep and how it underpins everything we do. However, there's something even more fundamental which is equally overlooked, and that is the topic of breathing. In fact, I go so far as to say that I've seen social media arguments around the subject of whether breathing can improve athletic performance and they can get quite heated. But I think it's much more basic than this. And we will be discussing why efficient breathing is fundamental to everything that we do as human beings first and athletes second. So without further ado, let's crack on and hear from Patrick McEwen. Welcome to the show, Patrick McEwen. Thanks very much, Simon. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on the show as well, Patrick. And I've got a lot of listeners who are really interested in improving their sporting performance. And for me, there are certain things that we do in our life that I think get overlooked as we're trying to run faster, swim faster, bike faster, or get stronger. Um, sleep is one of them. And I think breathing is something that I never hear talked about at all. Uh, and yet, it's one of the most fundamental things that keeps us alive. And you've written the book Oxygen Advantage, one of several books you've written, and we'll come on to those later. But And I've read that book, and so I'm fascinated to pick your brains and learn from my own personal learning and to share with our listeners. So here's a question that I have for you, and I, and I think probably some of the listeners will be asking this as well. I'm, I'm 57 now, right? I'm alive, so I must be doing a good job with my breathing, right? Because if I wasn't, then I wouldn't be here. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose breathing is subtler. Simon. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to say that breathing is necessarily going to, if you're doing it very, very poorly, it's going to kill you. Um, now I can take that back a little bit because if you have somebody with sleep disorder breathing and they're stopping breathing a lot during sleep, it does increase mm -hmm. the risk of different conditions and where breathing can play a role is in terms of health is that it can enhance recovery. It can bring a balance in the autonomic nervous system. It can improve your sleep and improve your states of mind. It can improve oxygen uptake in the blood and oxygen delivery to the tissues. It can reduce breathlessness during physical exercise and functional breathing and functional movement go together. So if you have this functional breathing, so really when I'm looking at breathing in an athlete or any individual, mm -hmm. but say, for example, because we're talking about running here, how you breathe during your run is determined by how you breathe in your everyday. Mm. And if we think that 75% of the anxiety population have dysfunctional breathing, a minimum of 30%, more likely 50 to 60% of the asthma population have dysfunctional breathing. Females are more prone to dysfunctional breathing and panic disorder because of the impact of hormonal changes can have an impact on their breathing. 50% of people with lower back pain have dysfunctional breathing and about 20% of the normal population. So there's two aspects to what I look at. One is getting your everyday breathing patterns improved. And we use a breath hold term called the Bolt, Bolt Body Oxygen Level Test. Mm -hmm. A person with a low Bolt score, they will have disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise. 
So how you breathe during exercise is not influenced by your exercise. Physical training does not improve your breathing patterns. You've just reeled off some of those statistics, which mm. um, I wasn't able to write them all down. But um, regardless of that, an athlete and anybody who participates in regular exercise, I'll call an athlete, although a lot of people wouldn't consider them as such. Athletes, and particularly the sort that I deal with, the weekend warriors, if you like, the age group athletes who are doing this as their hobby, they're, they start, they're part of the normal population. And so you know, when you say 50% of people who have back pain have dysfunctional breathing, then we could probably apply that 50% of those people to, to triathletes as well, because there will be triathletes who have back pain. There will be definitely triathletes who have asthma. There will definitely be uh, um, certainly triathletes who have anxiety. And uh, you mentioned about running, but I'd like to touch on swimming for a bit because that's where anxiety tends to show itself more, particularly in open water. And of course in swimming, your opportunities to breathe are restricted to maybe 50% of the time because the rest of the time your head's underwater. So, um, so I think we shouldn't forget that triathletes are just normal people and those statistics apply to them. They're not, they're not in a subset of people to whom they have no, no concerns. I totally agree. And like, if you, you even think about swimming, so say for example, it's advantageous for a swimmer to be able to do a given intensity and duration of exercise with less breaths. Because every time they have to turn in the water to take a breath, it reduces propulsion and it increases drag. Mm. Now, if you've got somebody with a low breath hold time during the day, so let's come back to how could you assess if somebody has poor breathing versus somebody with optimal breathing? Ask them to sit down, have normal breathing for a few minutes, just breathe as normal, and have a timer. So you have your phone or your second hand or whatever your watch. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose and pinch your nose with your fingers and hold your breath and time. How long does it take until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of your breathing muscles, then let go and your breathing should be normal. It's a comfortable breath all time. Right. And so we're not, so we're not, so we're not going to the point where you go. <gasps> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Your breath at the end should be normal. Okay. Now that has been used since 1975 as a measurement of breathlessness. And your breath hold time during rest will influence your breathlessness during physical exercise. So many people will be doing physical training and they might wonder, well, they seem to plateau or if they are swimming, they're getting caught for breath. But if they improve their breathing outside of their physical exercise, and if they improve their both score, this will translate into more efficient and economical breathing during physical exercise. They're less likely to gas out. They've got stronger breathing muscles. And, you know, they will be able to do more with less. So coming back then to bold score, what should it be? There was a paper by a professor of physical therapy published in 2018. And Professor Kyle Kiesel is his name. He looked at 51 individuals and they were 27 years of age. He concluded that the breath hold time is a very good way to screen for breathing pattern disorders in the athlete population. He also spoke about the relationship between functional breathing and functional movement, which often gets overlooked. If you have dysfunctional breathing, you have dysfunctional movement. And if you have dysfunctional movement, you're at a greater risk of injury. So if you think of the runner, the runner ne really needs to have functional breathing because the mm -hmm. diaphragm breathing muscle is providing stabilization for the spine. Mm -hmm. So what was his conclusion from assessing 51 individuals? Their both score must be greater than 25 seconds. 
And if their bowel score is greater than 25 seconds, they have an 89% chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. So conversely, if the bowel score is less than 25 seconds, it's an indicator of a breathing pattern disorder. And that will hold an individual back. And, you know, as I said at the start, it can depend on person to person. So you might even have somebody who had childhood asthma, and now they don't have symptoms of asthma, but yet their breathing can be impacted by their genetics. But it's this is trainable. So it's not down to your bolt scores, not down to your lung capacity, which is which is genetic, right? It's well, it's to- going it's going to be influenced by the working of your lungs, and if you do have inflammation of your lungs, it does reduce your bolt score. So people with asthma will have a tendency towards. Uh, lower bowel score and breathing problems, but we can still help to improve functioning of the lungs. You know, we can help to dilate the airways. Mm-hmm. We can help to enhance gas exchange. Like if you think of the human lungs, the greatest concentration of blood in the lungs is in the lower lobes. But if you're right. a runner with your mouth open, you're ventilating very much the upper part of the lungs mm-hmm. and it's a reduced gas exchange taking place. And especially if you have a runner and they're breathing fast and hard, so by breathing nose slow and low, you can enhance oxygen uptake. And by breathing through your nose, even though it's more difficult, you know, it's difficult initially. And I would encourage all people when they're recreational athletes, do all of your physical exercise with your mouth closed. Let your nose determine um, the intensity of your exercise. That's really interesting because I like to encourage uh, my athletes to use the math uh, Phil Maffetone principle. I'm not sure if you've come across Phil Maffetone. He he has the math score. So that's maximal aerobic function. Um, and it's 180 minus your age. It's not particularly scientific, but it's based on a lot of evidence that he's gathered. Um, and a lot of people say, well, I can't do that. There's no point. I, I can't run at that pace. But one of the other ways in which we get people to try to limit their pace is to do exactly what you just said, their nose breathing. Um, it gets a bit messy to start with, doesn't it? Nose breathing um, until you until the passages of your nose are, are, are yes. a little less yeah. sensitive. So your, your nose tends to run a little bit, especially uh, on a cold day as well. Yeah, and that make uh, when I've tried it, it makes me feel like my lo- my, my nostrils are blocking up. So I, I've I've used those um, little breather right strips to sort of just spread yeah. the um, out of it. But, but yeah, no, nose breathing, absolutely. And uh, nose breathing, I find, is a fantastic way of getting people to control their intensity because it's just. It's just a limit on how fast you can, how hard you can go. And then, then we, we could go into all of the other side benefits of um, limiting your intensity, like um, reduced oxidative stress, faster recovery, consistency, less injury. So, you know, that th- these yes, things don't... But it's trainable. See, this is the thing, yeah, you know. No, I agree. Like, I agree. Like, you ha- we have to bear in mind, if you go down to a local gym or a running track, mm-hmm. 100% of people pretty much will have their mouths open. Why are they breathing through their mouth during physical exercise? Mouth breathing is going to cause moisture to be sucked out of the airways, causes the airways to cool. It's not good for dental health, especially people who are running a lot with dry mouth or more prone to gum problems, teeth, dental cavities, etc. Mouth breathing is activating the upper chest. It's contributing to more of a stress response. Mouth breathing is reducing oxygen uptake from the gas, from the, the lungs to the blood, but also oxygen delivery. Now, unfortunately, the vast majority of sports scientists, can you imagine all of the universities in the world devoted to sports science? And there's only been a couple of them who have investigated nasal breathing. Now, one such individual is a triathlete coach. His name is George Dallam, D-A-L-L-A-M. He coaches triathletes at the highest level in the United States, and he is a triathlete himself. 
He switched to nasal breathing back in 2016. And from that then, what he was experiencing, he decided to study it. He did a, he did a study of 10 individuals in 2018. And he got them to breathe through their nose exclusively for six months. And then he tested them. Now, you don't even have to do it for six months to get the benefits. But at the end of six months, they were able to achieve 100% of their work rate intensity with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, but with 22% less ventilation. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine your athletes being able to achieve 100% of their work rate intensity with 22% less ventilation. There's more gas left in the tank. And it, this is just, listen, this is common sense. And I don't know what the sports scientists have been doing in the universities. I have to say they must have been asleep. Let me just ask you then, and I like to sort of follow what's known as the polarized program, which is a lot of lower intensity stuff below, below the aerobic threshold, which should be comfortable for most people to experiment with nasal breathing. But there's going to be 10% of that work up around what's known as the anaerobic threshold. Um, are you advocating that even super high intensity work? No, God, no, nose breathing? not at all. No? Not at all. No, no, no. But the majority. Let's be realistic the, here. Right, what I'm okay. saying is, as long as breathing can be comfortable, but however, when you first switch from mouth to nose breathing, mm -hmm. there is a greater air hunger. Now, th there is a greater air hunger because the nose is a smaller entry to the body than the mouth, and the nose imposes a resistance to breathing. But as the nose is a smaller entry to the body than the mouth, carbon dioxide cannot leave the blood so quickly. So carbon dioxide will be higher during physical exercise with nasal breathing than with mouth breathing. But we have to think of what are the roles of carbon dioxide? It opens up blood vessels. It's increasing blood flow throughout the human body, including the heart and the brain. And back in 1996, a paper by Travis and Jolliard that athletes who switched to nasal breathing during physical exercise, that they were able to activate flow states. Nasal breathing brings a better balance in the autonomic nervous system. Now, coming back to this, if you practice breathing through your nose for at least five to six weeks, both during sleep and during rest and during physical exercise, the air hunger diminishes. That's all it takes. There's a training. And the other thing that you're going to do with breathing through the nose during physical exercise you add an extra load onto the diaphragm breathing muscle. You're helping to improve functioning of the diaphragm. And this in turn is going to have added benefits because 50% of athletes can be prone to diaphragmatic fatigue. So initially when you switch, and this is why it's perfectly fine for a recreational athlete to do it, because yes, when you switch from mouth to nose breathing, you might have to decrease your intensity by about 15%. But look at the benefits. And after about five to six weeks, the, the body adapts to that. Can we go back a little bit then, because we started to talk about um, using this in a sports context, but I'd like to just talk a little bit more about um, breathing and general health, because as we've said, that, that underpins everything else anyway. Um, we've we've explored the Bolt method, and um, we'll talk about that a little bit more detail later so that um, everybody that's listening can have a go at checking what their Bolt score is and doing it properly. Can our lifestyles and the type of stress that we have in that lifestyle affect how we breathe because if we all start off on an even footing as children and i guess that we we have no distractions there so unless we're born with some sort of lung um, dysfunctional disorder everybody should be born breathing the same um but over the years we learn bad habits which then alter our breathing and create dysfunctions from what you've said i guess that those dysfunctions are brought on by lifestyle in terms of if we sit down too much if we don't if we don't move so and, and those things are reversible. So what what other what other elements of our lifestyle 
can influence our breathing either positively or negatively. Genetics can influence our breathing and the response to carbon dioxide is genetically influenced. There's no question about it. But even the heart rate variability of the infant, that's determined by the heart rate variability of the mother. So if you have a mother who's quite stressed and anxious during pregnancy and her HRV is decreased, or if she has sleep apnea and her HRV is decreased, that's going to impact the HRV of the child. So there's no question that genetics does play a role. And anatomically as well, the shape of her face and her airway is going to have some influence on her breathing and our ability to breathe through the nose. So when we're talking about breathing, Simon, I just want to put it out there that it's much more than what you just hear in a, in a yoga studio or different studios, because breathing is, it's broader than that. We have to look at how is the body reacting to the buildup of carbon dioxide. So say, for example, you go for a run, your metabolism is increased and your muscles are generating more carbon dioxide. So there's carbon dioxide being produced as a byproduct of the increased muscle activity. Carbon dioxide, that higher carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood. Now, how your body reacts to the buildup of carbon dioxide will determine how hard and fast you breathe. Outstanding athletes have a reduced chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide. So this has been well documented over the years, 40, 50 years now. So the factors then that can cause you to have an increased chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide is the primary drive to breathe. When you go for a run, you, it's not oxygen that's stimulating your breathing. Every breath that you take into your body, that's not driven by the body needing more oxygen. That's driven by a buildup of carbon dioxide. And there are other factors as well. There are other factors as well that stimulate your breathing, but your chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide is certainly a, a main factor. If you have an individual who has had an experience of trauma or high stress, or if they have jobs that they are talking all day, if they're sedentary, stuffy environments, processed foods, alcohol, all the stuff that people are exposed to nowadays, that can change breathing patterns. And as a result, then they have a lower bolt score. And with a lower bolt score, their breathing then will be faster and harder during exercise. Now, I'm going to come back to nasal breathing during exercise. The gas carbon dioxide is not a bad gas. I know we hear bring in oxygen and get rid of as much carbon dioxide. It's the greatest load of nonsense that has ever been put out there in the realm of breathing. And let's face it, there are many people teaching breathing exercises and they don't have the first idea about breathing. And I'm not claiming to know everything either. I don't. And I've worked with this field for 20 years. And of course, you do learn over the years. And I've worked with thousands of individuals. I've made plenty of mistakes with it. But there's a lot of false information out there about breathing. The more air you breathe into your body, that doesn't increase oxygen delivery throughout the body. That's a false. Because it's carbon dioxide, which is a catalyst for the release of oxygen from the red blood cells to the tissues. So I'll say that easier. As you take a breath of fresh air into your lungs, oxygen is going to transfer from the lungs into the blood. 98.5% of oxygen is carried in the blood bound by hemoglobin. Hemoglobin releases oxygen in the presence of increased carbon dioxide and drop to blood pH and also increased body temperature or muscle temperature. So you can imagine the runner. The runner is exercising when they go for a run, they are exercising mainly their leg muscles. These are the muscles then that need more oxygen. How do those leg muscles get more oxygen? Well, the harder you work the muscles, the more carbon dioxide the muscles generate. 
that's going to cause more oxygen to be delivered to those muscles. And the harder you work your muscles, the hotter they become. That's going to cause more oxygen to be delivered to those muscles. So oxygen is not delivered equally throughout the human body. The, the working muscles that need it the most should get the most oxygen. However, if you have an individual who goes for a run, and if they have a really low bolt score, we'll say 10 or 11 seconds, that individual can be hyperventilating during their exercise. Their carbon dioxide levels can go too low, a little bit lower than what they should be. This will impede oxygen delivery to those working muscles. Now that individual has less oxygen getting to the working muscles, the hydrogen ion coming from the working muscles doesn't get oxidized. It can associate with pyruvic acid to form lactic acid, which in turn can dissociate then into hydrogen ion and lactate to contribute to fatigue. So the, the other aspect, so what happens then when you breathe through your nose during physical exercise? Yes, it's a bit tougher. You know, it's a bit tougher and your nose will run, there's snot going everywhere. <laughs> Bring a tissue or wear a nasal dilator. And adjust your pace so that you're comfortable. If you have a nose like mine, you have a disadvantage because one nostril is smaller than the other. I have a deviated septum. My jaws are set back. So my anatomy is screwed up. I'd never be an athlete. Let's face it. I wouldn't even try. And I wouldn't have tried 30 years ago either because I'd never even get up. I'd never be up in the podium. I don't have the anatomy. If you look at an athlete's face, Look at the width of their if a top athlete. Look at their width of the facial structure. Look at the size of their nostrils. Look at their nose. Look at how forward their jaws are on the face. They have good anatomy because that pipe that's taking air from the nose or mouth into the lungs needs to be adequate. So number one, I'm going to just mention one point. If you do your physical exercise with your mouth closed and you're feeling air hunger, Bear in mind that air, that air hunger signifies that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. That's because of carbon dioxide. Continue gently doing your exercise, not with excruciating breathing in and out through your nose. That's not what it's about because the nose gets sore. But bear in mind, the increased air hunger signifying that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood is causing hemoglobin to release oxygen more readily to the tissues. And if you look at any studies which have looked into this, dating back to 1995 by Morton, an Australian study, and more recently, George Dallum. And I think any triathlete, look at George Dallum and, you know, look at whatever he has written about and the benefits of nasal breathing. The fraction of expired oxygen is less when you do physical exercise with your mouth closed, meaning that your body is utilizing oxygen better. You're talking about the shape of the face. I mean, we talk yes. about ox we talk about elite athletes having superior oxygen transport systems, but mostly we talk about lung capacity, lung efficiency, capillaries in the working muscles, et cetera, et cetera, the size of the left uh, ventricle and atrium. We don't ever talk about the shape of the face, the nostrils. You know, uh, I played rugby when I was younger, had my nose broken a couple of times, so I'm sure that affects the the you know, those, those nasal passages. And I definitely know that I can breathe more effectively through one side of my nose than the other. Um, if you've broken your jaw, I know my jaw clicks. I, I think I've got good jaw and, and facial health because my dentist checks it every time I go, but still um, there are certain things that we also can't change, but that doesn't mean we should give up on trying to be an, an endurance athlete. Does it probably just means that we're not going to get Olympic medal. Totally, totally. Because you can still improve based on what you're doing. And, you know, it's, I think for, for like, we have many instructors who are ultramarathon runners. Um, and these guys are running serious mileage. 
and they do use the, the nose to breed. We've got Martin Runners. Dr. Bill Hang is an orthodontist from Agoura Hills in California. And I'm not sure what, what age he is. I'm sure he's maybe mid-60s anyway. He's running Martins for the last 15 years with nasal breathing. So if a 65-year-old can run 26 miles breathing in and out through the nose, um, it kind of points that you know the rest of us can do it. If you're saying that genetics and, and the shape of the face and and everything is um, important in athlete for athletic potential, I'm trying to make a link here, and I might be going completely off track. We always talk about how talented the East Africans are as endurance runners and distance runners, and a lot of people say, "Well, that's the environment. That's the fact they've got so many champions. Everybody wants to be part of that." Does that have anything to do with facial structure and ability yes. to process oxygen as well then? And yes. that, that some of the Western populations perhaps don't have those advantages? Correct. They have an advantage. If right. you look at the facial structure of an African person, um, look at Sonia, Ross, Sonia Richards Ross. She can do a 400-meter sprint with her mouth closed. Hmm. Look at her airways. Look at her nose. Look at her nostrils. She's got a larger nose nasal airway. She's got really forward growth of the jaws. She's got a good airway. She's well able to, to transport air from the, from the atmosphere into her lungs without turbulence. Now, the other thing here, Simon, is this is not just about athletic performance. We have to think of sleep. Yeah. I had sleep disorder breathing for 20 years because of a compromised airway. How many of your athletes are waking up with a dry mouth in the morning? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about exercise and you're talking about good health, we have to put in here recovery. We have to put in because there is a risk that people can overtrain. And I've seen quite a few people who are after getting long COVID. These weren't the individuals who were doing nothing. These were individuals who were training. But the question was, or the question is, could they have been training too hard that they were in that increased sympathetic response? Mm -hmm. So with the human body, and we like you will have met it, I have met it, that you have individuals who are training so hard that it ends up that they have burnout or chronic fatigue syndrome. How do we assist with recovery from post-physical exercise? And how also can we improve recovery in terms of we have to be looking at sleep? You cannot have good performance if you have lousy sleep and if you're stopping breathing during sleep. The mouth must be closed, the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, etc. If you're going about your everyday and your breathing is a little bit faster in upper chest, that in turn is going to tip you into that increased stress response. Now you're doing physical exercise and you're, you're adapting those poor breathing patterns into your physical exercise. And this comes around full circle. How should we be breathing? We should be breathing nose, slow and low. Or I use the acronym light, slow and deep. Light is when we deliberately, 20 years ago, I had cold hands and cold feet all the time. And I remember back in 1998 or whatever I came across this first, I started practicing to breathe less air, to do the opposite of what people normally tell you to do. And I would say to, for any of the listeners to give it a go, put your hand on your chest and your hand just above your navel. Tune into your breathing and deliberately take about 30% less air into your body. Really slow down the speed of the breath coming into your nose and have a relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out and a very soft breath in and a really relaxed and slow, gentle breath out. Breathe less air to the point that you have air hunger and check the temperature of your hands. Can you influence your blood circulation within four minutes from doing light breathing? 
Now, the other thing is to check is the saliva in the mouth. Because we as human beings, when we get stressed, the mouth goes dry. It's not a time to eat food. But when we are in ideal relaxation, when we are in that rest and digest state, there's increased watery saliva in the mouth. But when you breathe light, and also when you have a slow and relaxed exhalation, you're stimulating the vagus nerve. You've got increased watery saliva in the mouth. You are down-regulating, and you assist with recovery and heart rate variability. And I'm going to put out this. How many people who go for a run, and they primarily get into running as a means of dealing with anxiety? Mm. So you're going to have a fair cohort of individuals out there. They are running to help deal with their anxiety, and there's no question that it works. But let's go one step further. You cannot adequately deal with anxiety unless you get deep sleep. And I remember a woman coming into here 10, 15 years ago. She's coming in with depression. And I said to her, I said, I said, when you wake up in the morning, I said, how do you feel? And she said she wakes up feeling absolutely exhausted. Mm. And I said, has anybody ever asked you about your sleep quality? And she said, no. If you look at people with insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea, when the two are combined, there's an increased risk of depression. Can we really get to the bottom of mental health issues unless we look at sleep? And unless we look at breathing and when I'm talking about breathing, I'm just going to, it's three dimensions. We look at the biochemistry of the breath by having normal carbon dioxide in the lungs and blood. We look at the biomechanics by having optimal movement of the diaphragm. And we also look at the autonomic nervous system. Do you want to stress the body and mind by doing breathing exercises? Or do you want to downregulate by doing breathing exercises? So to, to change the balance of the autonomic nervous system. I, I love that you're talking about sleep because that's, you know, that's the base of my foundation, the base of the pyramid. If you're not getting good sleep, then everything else is worse. And I know of nothing in the world that can't be made better by getting good sleep. Absolutely right. nothing. I don't see uh, uh, I don't really see any downsides unless you're sleeping sort of like 18 hours a day. But um, so I, lo I love the fact that you're talking about sleep. Um, you've touched on HRV, and although I'm not wearing it at the moment, I have been wearing the WHOOP um, uh, sleep tracker, HRV tracker, for the last four years. And, you know, there's some debate about the accuracy of that data, but what I don't think is debatable is the fact that it leads to behavior change. Um, you've mentioned alcohol and its effect on sleep, and you can tell how deep sleep, how the ability to get into deep sleep, how much you're getting REM sleep and all of that. And of course we know that REM sleep and lack of it is, has a connection to um, Alzheimer's and dementia, dementia that's right. Cancer yeah, even like, as well. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's some links there. HRV is, you know, heavily influenced by your, whether you're spending more time in parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous states, uh, rest and digest, you mentioned and, and um, fight or flight. And I, um, it's my personal observations as well of, of, the athletes I come into contact with that probably they're spending far too much time in that fight or flight because they're bouncing from one thing to another and never taking that time to sit down and focus on their breathing or meditation. Um, just going back to lifestyle um, and you talked about Bolt score. I presume that if you were to change your lifestyle and the environment that you're living in and some of the things that you've touched on, then would that have an immediate impact on your Bolt score or would you have to combine that with um, some breathing practice as well? I think initially it's good for people to bring some attention onto their breathing, especially if they are wrapped up in thought. And many people are consumed by thought. And the more they are trapped in their head, 
it's going to reduce their productivity anyway because they don't have the ability to hold their attention of what they want to hold it upon. Western education has failed us. 16 years of formal education has trained us how to think, but it hasn't gave us an ability to be able to direct our attention to where we want to put it. Many people, their mind is literally drowning in thought. And it's a very good practice, even just taking your attention out of your mind and onto your breathing, and not necessarily in a formal practice. You know, there's so many negative connotations and woo-woo and airy-fairy and all of the nonsense, the robes and the beads and the opal sandals and all of that crap. And that's what it is. You know, people have this image. Listen, I worked recently in the last few weeks with elite military and snipers. I can't disclose who, who it is, but they brought me in to talk about how to breathe while pulling the trigger of a gun. Mm-hmm. Now, this is breathing for the people. And all it was was simply looking at the autonomic nervous system. And in choosing in terms of, in that instance there, I looked at, well, should it be done during the inhalation? Well, that's not quite right because the brake and the foot has been taken off the brake because the vagus nerve steps back. Should, should, it be, should you pull the trigger after you breathe in and hold the breath? No, not quite right. Should you tra- pull the trigger during the exhalation? Maybe we could be onto something here. But how about even extending the exhalation to slow down the timing of the heartbeat, to increase the distance between one heartbeat and the other, and to pull the trigger between heartbeats? Because every time there's a heartbeat, the body moves slightly. And we've worked with that. And, you know, that's just to give you an example. Breathing is something that fundamentally is enormous and has got massive potential, but it has been messed up. Mm. Just going back to the sleep and you mentioned sleep apnea. I know a lot of people are concerned about, well, they probably don't admit or, or realize that they're snoring themselves, but they have partners that snore. Is snoring connected to breathing? And uh, efficient breathing and can snoring and the incidence incidence of it be reduced by practicing the mouth, uh, the nose breathing that you've talked about? Yeah, there's two types of snoring. So you can snore through your mouth and it goes a little bit like this. So that's when the soft palate at the roof of the mouth is vibrating. Once you get your mouth closed during sleep, and we use tape, we tape up the mouth. (laughs) That will stop mouth snoring. Now, the tape that I use is called myotape. So it surrounds the mouth, bringing the lips together. So it doesn't actually cover your lips. It's our, it's our own tape. So, so I can make a disclosure on that. Um, nasal snoring is influenced by the anatomy of your nose, but also the flow of your breathing. So I'll also say, always say to students, I say, make the sound of a snore through your nose. And it goes a little bit like this. <clears throat> so there's turbulence inside in the nasal airway and also where the nose meets the throat. And then I say to students, Really slow down the speed of the air you're breathing into your nose. So breathe very softly in and a relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And a very soft breath in and a relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And as you breathe slowly, try and snore through your nose. Now, the point is that it's more difficult to snore when your breathing is light and slow. So you might have one individual and he's got a low ball score. His breathing is fast and hard during the day. How you breathe during the day will influence how you breathe during sleep. He's going to be breathing hard and fast during sleep, which is contributing to turbulence. It's not just about the anatomy of the airway. We have to consider the flow of breathing. Do you have any data that links um, 
breathing rate, respiratory rate to snoring. So people who've got a lower respiratory rate, basically what you've talked about, breathing longer and lower and slower versus people who have a faster respiratory rate, are they more likely to snore then? And people who've got a, a, a lower respiratory rate, less likely to snore? It, there's no data that I'm aware of. That, and it's not just about the respiratory rate, because when you look at breathing, you have to look at the respiratory rate multiplied by tidal volume to give you a minute ventilation. So respiratory rate is one factor and tidal volume is another one. However, what you are saying is pretty much in the right direction. If you can reduce your, your respiratory rate, your breathing doesn't tend to be as hard and fast, of course. And as a result, this is going to reduce turbulence in the airway. I would look more at what is the BOLT score? You know, what is the individual's BOLT score? And I'd always say to somebody coming into me, listen, you're going to snore until your BOLT score is 25 seconds. So how do you improve your BOLT score? And this is tying back into something you asked earlier on. People don't have the time to do meditation. They don't have the time to do breathing exercises. Starting off, I would suggest, you know, even if you do it for three to five minutes and you bring your attention onto the breath, and you're really slowing down and softening your breathing. It's a great way to start. If you have nasal congestion, you can also open up your nose by simply holding your breath. To open up your nose, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold your nose. And you could just gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath and continue holding your breath until you feel a moderate to strong air hunger. Then let go and breathe in through your nose. Your nose starts opening up. We use 26 different breathing exercises, but I'll come back to this. I don't do breathing exercises now formally. And I did for about five years, even though I'm teaching this since 2002. Yesterday, I got out for an hour and a half. And I did my physical exercise out in the mountains in Connemara. I nose breathed and I did my breath holes during it. But the other thing was, I made my physical exercise a meditation. I don't do formal meditation either. We, you know, we don't have the time to be doing, this is the reality of it. But if you're already doing physical exercises, mm -hmm. why not make your physical exercise, your meditation and your breathing practice? I'm absolutely with you on that. I mean, I've followed the meditation practices with Headspace and, you know, I've just done those 10 minutes. Although I will say, I will say here that um, in line with what we talked about there, about being too much in the fight or flight and needing to just try and get away from that, that taking five minutes out of the day, making the time. And, um, you know, there's a phrase that I've heard recently. It says, if you don't make time, time will be taken away from you. And, uh, you know, I, time is the one thing that it doesn't matter how talented or rich or um, powerful you are. None of us have, have weren't learned how to create more time. And so it's beholden upon all of us to maximize the time in our lives for best benefit, right? So make the time, start with learning to just meditate and just, just sort of get away from disconnect from life. Practice your breathing, because I assume that once you've practiced some of these skills that you've been talking about, then we don't need to think about it 24-7. It's just like reigniting those muscle memory, if you like, to, to, to sort of coin the yes. phrase. Yes. Yeah. Um, in the same way, that if we sit down all the time, the glute muscles forget how to work and then they don't support our body. But if we do some initial exercises and then we just stand up a bit more, like I think you're standing up at a, a stand-up yeah, desk, I am yes, too, yes. Um, then we learn to do these things and it just happens because that's the way the muscles are designed to work. So make the time, start learning these skills and then do exactly what you said. 
Um, and I do exactly the same. I go out for a walk in the woods because there's also, we also know the mental health benefits of being at one with nature. And then I focus on my breathing. I don't have any distractions. I don't have any music. I don't have my phone on. I focus on my breathing. I do the nose breathing. I do it going uphill. I do it coming downhill. You know, you can combine all of these things. I do my movement practice every day and I focus on my breathing. Um, it's amazing how you get into the zone and the flow when you when you do these things as well, isn't it? Uh, it's it's and it's the only way to do it because normally you know like I can remember as a school kid and a teenager going into school and my concentration was absolutely shot mm-hmm. and you know I would be looking at a page of a book even though my eyes were directed to it my attention wasn't on it I was a faster breather upper chest breather I had sleep disorder breathing and I left school at 14 years of age never to go back to school because of a sense of frustration I'm pretty headstrong and I'm stubborn and even at 14, I left school never to go back. And I'm only thinking now I have a 12-year-old kid. And if she came in to me at 14 years of age saying that she was going to leave school, I said, Jesus Christ, you're not, not in a million years. But I did back then. I went back to school and I had to study hard 10 and 12 hours a day. And I got my grades and I got into a university in Dublin, Trinity College in Dublin. I did my degree and I come out of it. I was really held back by, by poor breathing. And I can only think of the million of the millions of children and teenagers and people in the corporate world. They don't have an ability to deal with stress, but they don't have the energy to be able to deal with situations or the ability to hold their attention. Now, I'm going to say this, Simon. Mindfulness does not work for the very person who needs it most. When you think of the people with dysfunctional breathing, 75% of the anxiety population, physiology, they're in that state of fight or flight. Their biochemistry can be off. We need to do more than mindfulness. And you spoke about sleep being at the bottom of the triangle. I wrote a book um, and I you put in a triangle. And I'm just going to show it to you just in case because you're this is the triangle. And if you can see that, you yep. will see that deep well, I, I, sleep let, is let at me the read, bottom. Let me read out to the uh, listeners then because they won't. We'll, we'll put a picture of this in there. Um, hierarchy of needs. So um, that's you've you've adapted Maslow's hierarchy there. Number exactly. one, deep sleep. Number two, invincible breathing. Number three, breath aware. Number four, body aware. Number five, mind aware. And number six, at the very top of the pyramid, self actualization. So, and this is the important thing because I've you know Stephen Seiler, who is the guy who's done most of the research on uh, polarized training. He's done one on hierarchy of endurance needs. I've done my own one for sort of like my high performance human stuff. There's there's lots of adaptations. You, you talked about people who need mindfulness, but if you start thinking about mind aware, which is near the top of the pyramid, you're never going to get the maximum out of your mind aware unless you um, focus on being sleep aware. Yes, and and in Seiler's endurance needs he says that the bottom three you can get 90 percent of your success from those bottom three the rest is icing on the cake but we i yeah. think in any walk of life most of us think too much about the icing on the cake rather than the making of the cake yes but the other thing is that the people who are in these practices who teach them they're trying to protect their turf of course like the mindfulness instructor doesn't want you to be thinking about sleep and they don't want you to think about your dysfunctional breathing patterns I am, I listen, mindfulness is, is amazing. And I've done several of the Vipassana courses. I have my attention on my breathing. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing my attention into the body. I try to immerse attention throughout the body throughout the day. I bring my attention into the present moment because I know what it's like to be stuck in your head, drowning in thought. However, 
if you have an individual with panic disorder, with dysfunctional breathing, with a low bowl score, with sleep disorder breathing, they're going to very, get very frustrated practicing mindfulness because their physiology, the central nervous system is in that hyper arousal. We need to change the physiology first. And, you know, this is information that's out there, but should be out there for everybody. I'm just going to say just a brief thing. Dr. Rangan Chatterley was interviewing a brain surgeon about six months ago. And the brain surgeon says, he says, if I get into a tricky situation, the first thing I do is prevent myself from hyperventilating. The brain surgeon knows it, but why doesn't everybody else know it? Because what happens when you get into a tricky situation? Number one, the individual with dysfunctional breathing is more likely to get into that stress response. Mm -hmm. When you have resilience and when your breathing is optimal and you have good sleep, life is softer. You know, the highs aren't too high, but the lows are not too low. Like if you think of the individual in the Western society, something goes right, Simon, and they're jumping around and high fives and they're mm. shouting and roaring and screaming. Everything is brilliant. But when something goes wrong, they're on the floor and they can't get up off the floor. Mm. So they're going from one extreme to the other. Things go right, but it's going to be short lived. But things go wrong. It's going to be short lived. And this is where resilience is an ability. It's not the situation which is generating the stress response, but it's how we are reacting to it. But it's our physiology which is feeding into that. However, we can change our physiology. I, I go back to what you said there about um, nobody makes money out of teaching the basics. Everybody wants to sort of teach the, you know, sell the icing, don't they, for the cake. And I've been doing this myself in my triathlon coaching is let's get the basics right before we worry about yes. getting a fancy new watch or an expensive new bike or, or this lovely new set of Vero wheels. Let's just focus on sleep. Let's eat yes. real food and have time to cook it. Let's just let's just focus on relaxing. No, 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 hold on. I can buy success by doing this. And everybody yes. wants to sell the sizzle rather than actually the preparation. Um yeah. Going back to what you were saying about uh, stressful situations, and um, there's been a lot in the triathlon press recently, endurance press, about blood constant blood glucose monitors, which is now seen as the latest thing to see what your blood sugar is doing. And of course, if you're in a stressful situation, your blood sugar is going to go up, and then you're going to and then you're going to get a crash. So you're going to have some caffeine, and you're going to have some chocolate. So you get a crash, burn, crash, crash spike, crash spike. That has an influence on your mood state. I'd be interested to see. Um, some data on people's blood sugar uh, versus their ability to get out of that fight or flight state to relax, to do what the brain surgeon said, because if you're involved in some complicated brain surgery, you definitely don't want to be having a blood sugar crash halfway through your surgery and having to fuel yourself with coffee. You want to be nice and relaxed and calm so you can take a, a step back and just perform the surgery in a calm state, yeah. don't you? Because that's, that's going to lead to the best chances of a successful outcome for the patient. Yes. So yeah. I think, you know, we're coming up to the time um, where, where we probably need to be summarizing a few of these things, but it seems like we, we need to take a holistic view that breathing and you're going to lay out some things that everybody can get started with in a minute, but, but, but if you're taking that in isolation, it's not going to nearly have the same impact as if you're combining that with better sleep, um, the ability to step away from the hustle and bustle of life for a few minutes each day, um, using that mindfulness where you can and focusing on just a, a sort of a lower and slower and more gentle approach to life rather than the um, all or nothing. Simon, it's about bringing this into our way of life. 
Yeah. And give me every night my mouth is closed, but without exception. And I actually wear my own tape every single night. Um, before I had my own tape, I was using three M one inch micropore tape. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what tape you wake you wear. If you're waking up at a dry mouth in the morning, you need to get your mouth closed. It it really is about having. It's not about having our attention stuck in our head all the time. It's about when we get into the tricky situation. How do you have to down regulate? Always bear in mind that it's in the exhalation. It's not the inhalation. The inhalation is when the the foot is taken off the brake. The exhalation is when we put the foot on the on the, the the pedal, the foot to the pedal. So if, for example, we're getting into a tricky situation, you could take a soft breath into your nose. And if you have a really slow and relaxed exhalation, and then you take a soft breath in through your nose and a really slow and relaxed exhalation through your nose, the information communicated from the body up to the brain is that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And the brain will send signals of calm accordingly. We can do that in 90 seconds. And even in 90 seconds to two minutes, a study that came out of Belgium looking at 51 individuals, they gave them a stressful task. They got them to do two minutes of slow breathing before the task, had them do the task. They had fewer errors and they had less stress. Our physiology is very important, but most people are not aware of it. Most people are not aware of how their breathing can be sabotaging their health. And the one thing that I will say is, and yes, I would agree to bring your attention onto your breath at pockets of time during the day, even if it's just for two minutes here and three minutes there. There's plenty of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about just focusing on your breathing, but you can be actively taking less air into your body for a little bit here and a little bit there. And as you take less air into your body, it's a much faster route to activating the body's relaxation response because carbon dioxide is vagotropic. It stimulates the vagus nerve, but it also increases blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain, which is a calming effect. So nerve cell excitability. So in terms of the nerve cells in the brain, which are firing signals, when the individual is hyperventilating, the signals can be a little bit more over the place. And also the nerve cells ability to cope with the signals coming is also influenced by hyperventilation. And we could go one step further for people with epilepsy hyperventilation, which simply means breathing too hard and too fast can bring on seizures with some individuals because of the role of reduced blood flow to the brain. Secondly, you spoke about blood sugars. Individuals with diabetes type one and type two, they often have poor sleep and they also have a poor sensitivity of the barrel Mm -hmm. reflex. Their autonomic nervous system is in that fight or fight. Now, when we get into a stress state, it's going to increase blood sugar. So, you know, the balance in the autonomic nervous system will have an influence on our blood sugar at the body in terms of insulin production, but also in terms of the body's ability to absorb the blood sugar, to keep the the sugar in the blood as normal. And there was one researcher called Bernardi, who is an Italian researcher who's been writing papers on this for about 20 years for people with diabetes that through your breathing exercises, you can influence your your blood sugar. Now, he's focusing on a respiratory rate of six breaths per minute. This would be cadence breathing. Mm -hmm. I would say that cadence breathing is excellent, but don't just do cadence breathing to sacrifice the biochemistry and the biomechanics. And just as I said earlier on, we as human beings, we, we tend to get trained in one particular area. 
And we stick in that. We stay to that and we, we tend not to deviate. And I'm just as guilty as just as anybody else. But when we look at breathing, we have to bear in mind that breathing has got three characteristics or dimensions to it. The Buteco instructor, which was my background, focuses primarily on the biochemistry. And we ignored pretty much the biomechanics and we ignored resonance frequency breathing. The yoga instructor is focusing on the biomechanics, ignoring the biochemistry and ignoring resonance frequency breathing. The heart mat instructor is focusing on resonance frequency breathing and ignoring the biochemistry and the biomechanics. And what I want to do with the oxygen advantage, because it was not constrained by tradition, there's no guru. So I could do whatever I wanted to do in terms of a breathing protocol to look at all three dimensions to breathing and to allow the practice to evolve as we could find information and also in terms of the, the application of it with individuals. So, yeah, so I would really encourage people to, to put aside any kind of ideas that they have that breathing is a load of crap. It's not. And even just to start paying attention to your own breath and measure your bowl score, ask yourself, do you wake up with a dry mouth in the morning? Do you find that you're, you're overly breathless during physical exercise? So if you're running, if you're going for a run next to your colleague, track your breathing against theirs. Is your breathing lighter or harder than theirs? And training, physical training, and especially running does not change your breathing patterns, but swimming does. If you were swimming, the very fact that you're against the water and there's resistance to your breathing, that's adding an extra load onto the breathing muscles. And also you have your face in the water. So your breathing volume is going to be less during swimming than it is during running. And that's why some people find swimming challenging. The reason that they find breathing challenging during swimming is because their everyday breathing is not good. They're going around with their mouth open. They're breathing fast and upper chest and their bolt score is too low. And if you're doing any sort of distance swimming with a low bolt score, you're going to be caught for air. So really what we want to do is we want to change the body's reaction to carbon dioxide buildup and reduce the sensitivity to CO2 by looking at breathing exercises practiced on land. And going for a run with your mouth closed will help to do that. But you can also go one step further if you want to bring in some breath holds. You know, breath holds can be very, very advantageous at increasing the buffering capacity inside in the muscle compartment to help delay lactic acid and fatigue. So there's so many things that we can be doing depending on the states. Like if somebody comes into me and they're four years of age, I would have a sequence of exercise for a young child. Or somebody comes into me and they're 83 years of age, I have different exercise for that person. And here is the mistake also that's put out there about breathing. It's almost that here is one, you know, you might have some individual saying, here is a breathing technique and I want you all to do it. No, there's a time to stress the body. And if you hyperventilate and do long breath holds, that's a stressor. But that is not going to be suitable for everybody. And I've put people into panic attacks. I put one guy into accident and emergency. I remember people coming in with chronic fatigue syndrome. I'd go through a sequence of exercise. They'd never come back to me again because I completely floored them. We have to, just like physical exercise, you know, you're working with individuals and you will tailor a physical exercise program according to the individual and breathing should be the same. Mm. I've often seen the debate 
from people. In fact, I think um, we talked about a friend of mine who had been to see you and he posted something on a Facebook forum. Can breathing, inf- you know, can you, can breathing influence athletic performance? And it was quite interesting. And some of these guys were physiologists that just, it was a straightforward no, no context, just no. And I think that those people looking at, well, breathing exercise, you can't improve lung size and lung capacity and therefore you can't improve your performance. But I think we've touched on more subjects today that I can count on the fingers of both hands that will have an indirect um, influence on health and performance. And if that's going to lift everything up, rising tide lifts all boats, that's good enough for me. And you, I love the fact that you've said at the end there that we all have to find what works for us. And if you've found a method that works for you, then that's great. I can't argue with that. I think the physiologist needs to look at, starts needing to, starts to realize that breathing patterns during physical exercise are influenced by everyday breathing. Mm. And even just to, to look at breath hold time, just even start with that, you know, I really feel that the, the whole sports science community, they have missed something huge here. And they're going to be left sitting because breathing has taken off. It's a hot topic now. Mm. And it's driven by, it's not driven by the universities. It's not driven by the academics, but it's driven by the people, grassroots level, who are putting it into practice, mm-hmm. waking up feeling better, lighter breathing during exercises. They get it. And then the academics the academics will catch on when everybody else is doing it. Patrick McEwen, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. I feel like we've uh, laid the foundations for another podcast on this to dig a bit deeper. But for now, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks, Simon. Thank you to Patrick for joining me on the High Performance Human podcast. There are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. I really want to say how much I appreciate every listener who takes the time to listen to the High Performance Human podcast, whether it's your first time or you've been listening since episode one. If you haven't yet joined the conversation, please subscribe for free on iTunes so you never miss another episode. And also join our High Performance Human podcast Facebook page, link of which is in the show notes below. Okay, that's all for this week. I'll be back in seven days time with another great guest. But please, for now, remember that being a high-performance human is a journey. So stay healthy, stay focused, and keep trying to be just a little bit better than yesterday.